0: Tonight, we're going to be looking at Genesis chapters 22 and 23. A title, This God Has Provided, and that title coming from Genesis 22. And the name of God that's given to us in Genesis 22 is Jehovah Jireh, meaning the Lord will provide. And so it's a recognition of Abraham about God, that he has provided the lamb for the sacrifice at his hour of need, but God has also provided the lamb of God and Jesus Christ for us. So we're going to see a little bit of the uh, prelude to taking shape of the sacrifice, the offering of Isaac upon the altar by his father Abraham, how that coincides and um, mirrors so well with the giving of Jesus by Father God and Jesus's ultimate sacrifice there upon the cross. And so we're going to see here in Genesis 22 how that mirrors so well with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the gospel story. And so we have a a great picture of our Savior Jesus as seen in the lives of Abraham and Isaac. So the Bible tells us in verses 1 through 3, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Now take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. So God now calling Abraham to take his, notice that the Lord said, only son, Isaac, and also acknowledging the love that abraham had for his son isaac it's not that abraham didn't love ishmael but it's merely an acknowledgement of the love that abraham has for isaac as well and this is as we know according to the word of god isaac was the son of promise where ishmael was the son of the flesh and god calls abraham to offer isaac as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains in the land of Moriah. And in obedience to God's command, early the next morning, Abraham saddled his donkey, took two of the young servants, his son Isaac, and as well as the wood for the burnt offering, they went to the land of Moriah. And although Abraham had another son, Ishmael, as I said, Ishmael being the work of the flesh, God is recognizing the work of, of the spirit God is recognizing his work in the lives of Abraham and Sarah as the bible reminds us paul writing in galatians 4:22 and 23 for it is written that abraham had two sons one by a bondwoman and the other by a free woman but he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh but he of the free woman according to promise And so now Abraham takes his son of promise, the son that he had waited for for 25 years, and the Lord had finally given him his son Isaac. And we learned of Isaac uh, being winged from mama's milk last week as we were closing out the study. And so although it doesn't give us that age, it's an age where they begin to take solid food. It could be that he was between the ages of two or three years old at this point. And here we're not given an age of Isaac. We don't know how old he is. But we do get an idea that he was still young. In verses 4 through 6 it says, On the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. On the third day they arrived, the land of Moriah, they arrived at Mount Moriah. That word Moriah means that which is ordained or considered by God Abraham had his servants remain there at the foot of the mount while he and Isaac went to worship the Lord and although Isaac's age is never mentioned as I said before Abraham does call him the lad here in verse 5 and that is a Hebrew word that refers to a young boy Uh, Referring to a young boy or a young man or a servant. And so we can assume that he was younger. But Abraham's faith here is revealed when he told his servants, wait here and the lad and I will go and worship and return to you. Only Abraham knew what God had asked him to do, to offer his only son as a sacrifice and to follow through with that would mean that from the human perspective, Abraham would be returning alone without Isaac. But he trusted in the Lord, so much so that the author of Hebrews explains this to us, saying in Hebrews 11, 17 through 19, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding, and here's the faith process of Abraham, in Hebrews 11, 19, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him, in a figurative sense. On the third day, it's a, significant number for us because of this passage so mimicking the offering of God's only begotten son Jesus Christ who went to the cross was offered upon the cross as a sacrifice for our sins and also was raised up on the third day for three days Abraham saw his son as dead but only on the third day in a figurative sense Isaac would be resurrected back to life to him Here's how the account that's given to us in Scripture, here's how it plays out. In verses 7 and 8, it says, But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them went together. As they went up that mountain to worship, Isaac noticed that there was something missing. He acknowledged it to his father, saying, look, we have the wood, we have the fire, but we have no lamb. And Abraham gave Isaac this famous and prophetic response. My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. What faith it took for Abraham to offer up Isaac but God will provide for himself in fact God has provided himself the lamb God provided Jesus Christ the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world ultimately as an offering for our sins so they came to the place verses 9 and 10 the place of which God had told him and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order and he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Now we cannot be sure if Isaac was a, a willing sacrifice at this point, if he willingly allowed himself to be bound upon the altar. I like to believe that he did, but just knowing our human nature, it's hard to believe that he would. Yet even if he didn't willingly, obediently lay upon that altar, we do know that Jesus willingly offered his life upon the cross. Jesus himself said in John 10, verse 15, and also verses 17 and 18, As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and lay down my life for the sheep. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. So we're unsure. Genesis 22 of Isaac's response at this point. No doubt he was... Frightened? No doubt he was confused. He already acknowledged that by asking about the location of the lamb. Where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And then when he discovered that he was the sacrifice, it had to be so difficult for him to comprehend. But God was setting up a type that would simulate that of God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ, and his offering upon the cross. So Abraham, he had taken up the knife to slay his son, and then 11 and 12, the angel of the Lord called from heaven, said, Abraham, Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So once again, we find a Christophany connected to the story of Abraham, the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh. Yahweh would be the Greek term there for Lord. So the angel of Yahweh or a Christophany, a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus Christ. Jesus calling out to Abraham, telling Abraham not to harm the lad, acknowledging that Abraham had passed the test. God saying, now I know that you love me because you have not withheld your son, your only begotten son. Now think about this. The Bible tells us in Romans 5, 8 that God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Just as God said to Abraham, now I know that you love me, that you fear me, since you have not withheld your son. In the same sense, we can say of God, now we know that you love us because you have not withheld your son, your only son, from us, the work of Jesus upon the cross. First John four verses nine and ten. We looked at these verses on Sunday. It says in this is the love of God was manifested toward us that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might have life through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. He sent Jesus to become a covering for our sins. Abraham had passed the test. He had finally learned to trust God no matter the cost. And I say this because Abraham had failed a number of times. We know of two that we have looked at just last week. We looked at the lie, the half lie that he had Sarah tell King Abimelech of the Philistines that she was his sister and not his wife. And he had done that before when he first came in the land when there was a famine and he went to Egypt he had Sarah tell the people there that she was his brother and not his wife. And so Abraham had compromised his faith twice with Pharaoh and with King Abimelech. But no longer was he going to compromise his faith. He'd passed the test that the Lord had given to him. He had learned to fully trust in God, even when the cost was so high. In James 2, verses 21 through 23 James writes about Abraham saying, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and that by works faith was made perfect? The scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Abraham's faith, And works were made perfect as seen through a sacrificial obedience to God's command for his life, even at a great cost. A faith that believes God when it seems to go against logic, which this situation that Abraham found himself in absolutely seemed to go against logic. That is a real faith and such faith. God is able to do great things. We, too, can have such faith. We, too, through faith in Jesus Christ, have been counted righteous before God. As Paul explains in Romans 4, verses 22 through 25, saying, Therefore it was accounted to him, to Abraham, for righteousness. And then Paul went on to say, Now this was not written for his sake alone, that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So at that moment, verse 13 tells us, Abraham lifted up his eyes. He looked and there was behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it for a burnt offering instead of his son And Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. Hebrew, that would be Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day. Now Moses is writing this. And so Moses, speaking about this event some 600 years later, he says, As it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So a saying went out that lasted at least 600 years up to this time and then even beyond that, that in the Mount of the Lord it shall be provided. At Mount Moriah, where Abraham was willing to offer his son, his only son whom he loved, as a sacrifice unto God, thankfully he did not have to go through with it because God provided a ram. Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord will provide. And in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. In reality, in the mount of the Lord, it has been provided for God provided his only son. On that same mount, Jesus Christ died there upon the cross. We pick up in verses 15 through 19. It says, then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven. Once again, the angel of Yahweh, the Christophany, being mentioned again. Verse 16, he said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, as the sand which is on the seashore, And your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed, verse 18, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went up together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Paul would point out that God did not say to him in your seeds, plural, as in many, as in your descendants, but in your seed, singular. Paul points out that that is referring to Jesus Christ. As a result of Abraham's willingness to offer his only son, Isaac, God reiterated the covenant that he had made with Abraham some 20 years earlier saying, In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And the chapter closes out just taking a moment to record the genealogy of Abraham's brother Nahor and his 12 sons, Bethuel, his daughter Rebekah, is the significance of this. And so you can read through it if you'd like, the naming of the 12 sons, I could read through it. It wouldn't sound very good. So I'll read the ones, the words, the names that I can say. In verse 20, now it came to pass, after these things that it was told to Abraham, saying, indeed, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor. And it goes on to list the 12 sons. The significant one to us is in verse 23, Bethuel, who begot Rebekah, and this is significant because uh, Rebecca would become the wife of Isaac, and we'll learn about this in chapter 24. But we're getting a backstory on it right now here in chapter 22. And so the significance of this, that there's going to be a bloodline involved with the marrying of Isaac to his wife Rebecca who actually could be connected back to Abraham's brother, Nahor. So Abraham's statement, before we move on into chapter 23, concerning the provision of the lamb, the Lord will provide for himself a lamb, he said. It was prophetic because Abraham's story, in so many ways, Abraham and Isaac mirrors the redemptive plan of God through his only begotten son, jesus here's a few things that i've noticed about this speaking of the father or the fathers in this situation both abraham and god had only begotten sons whom they loved both offered their sons as a burnt offering a burnt offering in the old testament we get into this when we get to the book of Leviticus, and we'll talk about the offerings of consecration. So a burnt offering was that of total consecration to the Lord. And that is the meaning behind it. So they both offered their son as a burnt offering, or as total consecration. Both received their sons back from the dead. Abraham figuratively, God actually, both called brides for their sons. Isaac's bride was Rebecca we were just introduced to her at the end of this chapter and Jesus's bride is the church and Isaac and Jesus we find that when we look at their stories the accounts of their life that both were obedient to their father's will both carried the wood for the offering Isaac was for the fire Jesus was the beam of the cross both were offered as a sacrifice on mount moriah personally this is just me but personally i believe god said go to the land of moriah to a mount that i will show you i personally believe that god showed him the very exact place where his son would be offered upon the cross that's just opinion of mine i don't think god does anything halfway His prophecies are perfect. But they were both offered on Mount Moriah. Even if I'm wrong and it was a different location on the mount, they were both there. Both sons raised on the third day, Isaac figuratively, Jesus actually, both received and loved their bride. God did provide the lamb as a substitute, his only begotten son, and through Jesus all the nations of the earth have been blessed. In John 1 29, it tells us that John the Baptist on the next day, seeing Jesus coming toward him, he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in John 3:16 and 17. The word of God telling us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then verse 17 For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide, and God has provided his son, Jesus, as a sacrifice for our sins. We get into Genesis 23. We find that Sarah passes away from this earth and she had a life well lived in verses 1 and 2 it tells us now Sarah lived 127 years these were the years of the life of Sarah so Sarah died at Kirjath Arba that is Hebron in the land of Cana and Abraham came and mourned for Sarah and to weep for her Just the wording of that, Abraham came to mourn for Sarah. It was as if he was away when she passed away. And so that would be sad just to contemplate that. But he came to not only pay last respects to his wife, but also to prepare for her burial. She had lived 37 years after the birth of her son Isaac. God blessing her with a son in her latter years. Blessing her with a fruitful life of 127 years. And afterwards, when Abraham came to mourn and to weep for his beloved wife, the Hebrew word for mourn means to wail or to lament. It can also mean to tear at the hair or to beat at the breast. The word for weep here means to bemoan with tears. And so a great expression of grief was poured out from Abraham because of Sarah and the loss of Sarah different cultures mourn in different ways when I was in Africa I've mentioned this before but the first night we were there in South Sudan we heard drums being played long into the night personally I thought that just like in the Tarzan movies this is how it is they play drums at night and It wasn't what was going on. What was actually going on was that one of the women had died giving birth to a child. And as an expression of love, they would play their drums as long as they could. And so the drum playing long into the night, that first night that we were there, that was an expression of great love toward the wife, that had died and I didn't hear any more drum planes I was there for 10 days in South Sudan didn't hear any more like that it wasn't repeated again it was a unique thing and that that's a blessing that it was a unique thing for them but it just is a way of expressing their love towards some way their process of mourning and grief and here in the Hebrew that of mourning and weeping To wail or to lament, to beat your breast, to yank hair. The word can describe that, to bemoan with tears. All of these things used to describe these two Hebrew words. The Bible tells us in Matthew 5, verse 4 Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And in reality, we have all mourned in many ways, in circumstances at many different levels will mourn again in many other ways and circumstances. Yet Jesus has promised, blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. Through Jesus, those who mourn can find hope, and they can find true comfort in the Lord. That Greek word for comfort is a compound Greek word, parakleo. It's a Greek word that means to call near. And I get this picture of a comforter, someone who comes near, putting their reassuring arms of compassion around us, just giving us a hug. Greatest example I've had personally in my life was when my dad passed away. I was 28 years old. That's quite a while ago. And uh, my dad pastored in the community of Zion. Uh, He was part of the Masonic Lodge. It was his process of coming to faith, and I know a lot in the Christian church have a difficulty with me even saying that, but this is my dad's story. He was not a believer. He wasn't raised in a Christian home. He joined the Masonic Lodge as a young man there in Waukegan, and when he joined the Lodge, they gave him his first Bible with the words, in this book, you will find the answers to life. And later on, my dad would testify, I did find the answer to life, and his name is Jesus Christ. So he may have started off in a rather odd way from our perspective, but he found a true and living Savior through the process. Saying all that, just to say that there were a number of people who came, and there was a point to where I was overwhelmed and I just walked out of the funeral home to the parking lot just to find relief. And it was uh, Lily's brother, Roy, coming at that same time. And I could get emotional over this, and I might. But I was walking out. Roy was coming to the wake, and he saw me. He never said a word. He just gave me a firm hug, and he held me which he's never done before and he's never done since. (laughs) It was unique. It was a -a once-in-a-lifetime event. But he gave me at that hour what I needed. That's a perfect description of Paracletus, one who comes alongside, one who comes near. And even without words, we can minister to others. Christ has promised that he will draw near to those who draw near to him. So we find this bartering process begin to unfold here. Abraham rose early in the morning. It tells us in verse three, he stood up from before his dead. He spoke to the sons of Heth saying, I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. I'm trying to do math in my head real quick here, but they've been in the land for 25 years She lived 37 years, 55, 62 years. He'd been hanging out for a long time. But still he calls himself a foreigner and a visitor among them. He said, give me a piece of property for a burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. He still had not purchased any property. And this is because God had called him to live the life of a sojourner. God has said in Genesis 13, 17 to walk the land, its length and its width. God promising, I give it all to you and to your descendants after you. But up to this point, 62 years in the land, Abraham had not even purchased a single piece of property. But as a Bedouin, he sojourned in the land of promise. And so not wanting to offend his neighbors and no doubt, In the past 62 years, there have been many who had died. I mean, he had, remember, back in chapter 14, I believe it was, or 13, Genesis, probably 14, he had uh, 318 trained men in his own household. And so he had quite a large estate, many people serving him. And yet he'd never owned property for himself. So in one sense, because of God's promise, all the land belonged to Abraham, his descendants after him, but not wanting to offend his neighbors, he sought to purchase a burial plot for his wife and also for his family. And he had it in his mind where he wanted that plot to be. He had already figured it out. In verses 5 through 9, it tells us, and the sons of Heth answered Abraham and said to him, it could be Heath, it could be Heth. I'm going to go with Heth today. Said to Abraham, hear us, my Lord. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choices of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you his burial place, that you may bury your dead. Then Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land and the sons of Heth. And he spoke, said to them, If it is your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and meet with Ephron, the son of Zoar, for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he has at the end of his field. Let him give it to me at the full price as a burial place among you. And so he had this place in mind. They said, wherever you want to go. They said any burial place of ours is yours, and so kind of gives that sense. Any graveyard we have, feel free. Go ahead. But Abraham had something special in mind. Now, it's not the exact cave, but when Lily and I and others, a few others here from the church as well, we were in Israel. Uh, we got to walk through one of these burial caves and it was carved out there in Israel, and it was a place that they discovered, and now they allowed you to walk through the place. So no doubt a very similar place, whether it was already hewned out and prepared for burial, or he would purchase the land new of the cave and would make it the burial plot. We can't be sure about that. But they asked the people, the sons of Heth that they might be intercessors, witnesses concerning the purchase of this land from Ephron the Hettite. And so then the bartering takes place, verses 10 and 11. Ephron dwelt among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hettite answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Heth, all who entered the gate of the city, remember at the gate business took place, it was like their county seats or their courthouse. And so they referred to this gate of the city. They were doing a transaction here. And Ephron said, no, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field, the cave that's in it. I give you in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you. Bury your dead. So the exchange is recorded now between Abraham and Ephron. The bartering process of their day. We still do some bartering today, maybe with the inflation and the way our country's headed. Maybe we'll have to do some more bartering these days. But when I just think about some of the things that we naturally might do, I don't know of too many people who anticipate paying for the full price of a home without at least trying to get a couple of thousand dollars off, or walk into a car dealer and say, I like that car. What's the price? Here it is. I actually don't mind the barter back and forth. I don't mind sending the, (laughs) shouldn't say it, but we bought a Chevy Blazer once and the salesman was going back and forth between me and the manager. I don't know what he was saying to the manager, but it was part of his process. And uh, we finally agreed upon a price, maybe at a flea market. Or at a rummage sale. Again, you barter. They were bartering. Normally you don't offer to give it away. Ephron offered to give the property, the land, but it was merely a graceful entry point for the bartering process. I'm sure he never intended for Abraham to receive it without paying money for it. Verse 12 Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. He spoke, verse 13, to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land. He says, if you will give it, please hear me. I will give you money for the field. Take it from me and I will bury my dead. And Ephron answered and said, my Lord, listen. Verse 15, the land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between me and you? So bury your dead. So here he is naming the price kind of in a, Very kind way. Uh, You know, I already said you could have it. It's worth like 400 shekels of silver, but go ahead, bury your dead. But Abraham, hearing the price, weighed out the silver for Ephron, which he named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, currency of the merchants of that day. And so he paid the price for the place. Abraham really didn't do much bartering, but it was it's significant because we discover ultimately that Abraham not only would lay his wife to rest in this cave, in this field that had belonged to Ephron, there in Machpelah, he would plant a tree in the field And within all the surrounding borders, he would mark the place as his. And ultimately, Abraham, Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, and Leah would also all be buried in that cave. And so it was significant because it belonged to the family. And it belonged to several generations. Think about that. Abraham, his son Isaac, his grandson Jacob, all buried in that cave along with their wives, Rebecca and Leah. That's an interesting thing. We'll get back to that again as we go through Genesis, but we know Jacob's favorite wife was Rachel, but he was actually laid to rest with Leah, the wife who had given birth to Judah, who is a descendant of Jesus Christ. I just think that's significant. But, We'll get back to that later on in the book of Genesis. So it tells us, verse 19 and 20, after this Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Micpillah before Mamre, that is in Hebron, the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave was deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as property for a burial place. So there's nothing wrong with grieving the loss of loved ones a natural process that we all go through and we all go through it differently and we need to be those who are willing to be a comforter pericleo is a greek word blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted pericleo to come to draw near or to come alongside someone and we need to be those who are willing to be near to come alongside But we also know that true comfort comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort which we also, ourselves, are comforted by God. And so... In the process of faith in this life, sometimes we'll be the ones being comforted, sometimes we'll become the comforter, but it's all because of Jesus and the comfort that we receive from God, the Father of mercies, because of the work of Jesus Christ. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord himself will provide a lamb for the offering. And Abraham said, God has provided Jehovah Jireh. God did provide the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here on Wednesday evenings, we have the ABCs of salvation. I actually did this on Sunday. Rarely do I use the ABCs of salvation on a Sunday. We usually go through our church motto, the believer, receive, grow and go. But we had um, a number of youth and kids here and I wanted it to keep it simple the way our school system is going they may not be learning the abcs one day but uh i wanted them to get the abcs of salvation down the a standing for admit to admit to god that we are sinners and to ask for his forgiveness as romans 3:23 tells us for all of sin and fall short of the glory of god But in 1 John 1, 9, it goes on to explain to us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There are some who preach a partial gospel of Jesus Christ. Some who say, believe in Jesus and your life will be better. But they only preach a partial gospel because they challenge people to believe without directing them to confess their sins and that is part of the process we need to confess and then believe the B then for belief believe in the work that Jesus did upon the cross his death burial resurrection his ascension to the right hand of the father and receive that gift of salvation as Romans 5 8 tells us but God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. Abraham had demonstrated his fear of the living God. God said, now I know that you fear me because you did not withhold your son from me, your only son, your only begotten son. Abraham had a demonstration of his fear and also his love for God. God continues to demonstrate his love to us through the giving of his son. We need to believe in that work. And the C is for confess. Confess your faith in Jesus Christ. Share your faith with others. And the Bible tells us in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And then I love Romans 10, 13. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever. God's salvation is available to whosoever believes in his son, our savior, Jesus Christ. Tonight, if you're listening on radio or maybe at a later date or watching through social media and you have questions regarding your faith or a prayer request, please email us at cclv at comcast.net cclv at comcast.net this coming sunday at 10 a.m lord willing we'll continue our study in the book of revelation we're going to be looking at revelation chapter 10 i looked over this chapter today and i titled this a bitter prophecy it's a very short chapter in the book of revelation so we'll see how it goes i could almost Dip into chapter 11, but chapter 11 has several events that kind of work off of each other. So that might be difficult to do. So we may just hold it to Revelation 10 and have a short Sunday. one. That would be amazing. You're thinking, that's amazing. But we'll see how it goes. A bitter prophecy, Revelation chapter 10. So both in Genesis and the book of Revelation, we're nearing the center of these books. And I am so blessed that I'm able to once again teach through these books to this community, to the people here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, keep us in your prayer. And the church, we had a storm last night. We had some roofing shingles rip off, not too much. I was up there repairing the shingles today. I had an oak tree go down that needs to be cleaned up. And one of the brothers who came out to family camp from another church last week was here this afternoon cutting on that tree he'd seen it the picture that I posted on social media so he came out with his chainsaws and started cutting away what a blessing that was power was out the radio was off we had a emergency national test today we failed got some equipment issues and I'd mentioned this before that we have taken a bigger step of streaming our radio ministry and now we're streaming through uh, video and we're going to take another step with that and get a little better at that as well so I just ask for prayer and think about Calvary Chapel even in your prayers it could be as simple as and God bless Calvary Chapel close out those meal prayers with a, a blessing toward this place I believe that spiritual warfare is real And we might find ourselves in the midst of it here if we already don't recognize it going on. And so pray for strength and for God's grace to be upon this place. Speaking of that, let's go ahead and stand up and close in prayer. We thank you, Father, for your word, for Abraham and the great example of faith that he has to so many. But this Genesis 22, it's, One of the famous chapters in all of the Bible, because how it so mimics the cross itself. The great love of Abraham toward Isaac and his willingness to offer Isaac. And the great love of God the Father and his son Jesus and Jesus offering his life upon the cross. So we thank you, Lord, that you are Jehovah Jireh. We thank you, Lord, that you have provided your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, Lord, I pray that you'd be with those who are hurting and suffering. We pray, Lord, your hand be upon them. Comfort those, Lord, as we looked at tonight in our text, those who are mourning. Be comfort to them. And Father, I pray that you would be our ultimate comforter, paracleo, the one who comes alongside to give us true comfort and mercy. We pray all these things, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace.